Lord, we thank you for your word tonight, the privilege of being able to turn to it. And Jesus said, as Jesus, you said that to the Father, sanctify them uh, by your truth. Thy word is truth. And so we pray that you would use your word to sanctify us in all of the ways that we're not even aware of, Lord, all of the ways of the world of our flesh, all of the indoctrination that goes on and attaches itself to us. And we pray that you wash these things away as we look at Christian service and we look at our Christian walk in the light of the Scriptures. We pray that you would speak to us uh, exhortation, edification, and comfort tonight, that you would stir us up, that you would build us up, that you would lift us up as needed, Lord. You're the only one that can do all three of those things all at the same time through the same Word, and we pray that you would do that tonight. We've come to meet with you, to praise you and worship you as we've done. We've come to receive and to sit at your feet, Jesus, and hear your voice. And so help us to hear your voice now. And we ask it in your name, in Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. Good evening to you. Zechariah tonight. Sunday nights through the Bible, Genesis to Revelation. Find ourselves in the book of Zechariah, next to the last book of the Old Testament, and uh, one of the minor prophets. We're going to pick things up in chapter 4, and just a reminder that uh, Zechariah was one of the, what is known as the post-exilic prophets to uh, Israel, and that he prophesied after the children of Israel's return from the Babylonian captivity. You might remember uh, that uh, Haggai was sent by the Lord to wake up the children of Israel to something they had fallen asleep to, and that is uh, God had sent them back to the land, back to Jerusalem from the Babylonian captivity with the intent that they would rebuild the temple that had been destroyed. Uh, they fell asleep to that, and they uh, bought, built their houses and paneled walls and all of this kind of thing and were neglecting God's work. So he sends Haggai to exhort them and to wake them up. As they began to return to the work, and once we return to the work, we're not so much in need of exhortation as we are in uh, encouragement in that work, especially when God calls us to do something, which he does for every one of us in walking the Christian life uh, in this world, in a very seductive culture, by the way, in the United States of America. Uh, and so we are in need of encouragement once we get going. And so uh, the book of Zechariah begins with eight visions that all speak uh, encouragement to us in our Christian walk and in, in our Christian service. It's very much uh, written with a, a focus on uh, those that are, are serving the Lord, which uh, is all of us, I trust. And so he continues now with uh, the fifth of the eight visions, in chapter 4, now the angel who talked with me came uh, back and wakened me as a man who is wakened out of his sleep. And so it's interesting you see these prophets when they receive uh, pr uh, revelation from the Lord, they receive prophecies. Um, it, it, it appears to be something that's quite taxing uh, physically. Uh, upon them and, and demanding. David, I mean, uh, Daniel was sick for a while and, and all. So uh, here he is, he's, he's knocked out by uh, the first four visions and he's got to be awakened out of his sleep. And the angel said to, to Zechariah, what do you see? And so he describes what he saw. Uh, and so I said, I'm looking and there's a lampstand of solid gold with a bowl on top. And on the stand, uh, seven lamps and seven pipes to the seven lamps. Two olive trees are by it, one on the right hand, uh, right of the bowl, and the other on the left. And so basically what he's describing is what uh, some of you might not be able to see it, but the menorah that is right behind me on the platform. So you have the lampstand with the seven uh, uh, candelabra uh, uh, related to them. And then there's a great bowl that is above them, which carries oil. And there's a series of channels in which that oil is then being brought down uh, uh, to feed the oil to the oil lamps. 
And then above the oil bowl uh, on either side is a great olive tree. And the olives are uh, clearly uh, feeding oil into that bowl to then be fed uh, into the lamp. And so uh, that's the vision that, that he sees. Very, very valuable, this, uh, uh, this lampstand. The purpose uh, of the lampstand, I think, is very important to understanding all of what uh, this re- represents. The lampstand was one of the furnishings uh, of the tabernacle and then the temple that was located in uh, the, the holy place. It's described in Exodus chapter 25. That lampstand inside of, of the holy place, uh, that, that initial compartment of a two-compartment uh, uh, temple, uh, that lampstand provided the only light in that uh, in, in that room, and it was to be uh, continually lit. It was never to be allowed to uh, go out, and so it was refueled with uh, olive oil every morning, every evening by the priests. That was their responsibility. So it is a very labor-intensive uh, kind of, uh, of task between the producing of the oil and then, uh, and then making sure to refill it twice a day and, uh, and this oil and the lamp, both oil and light, are a picture uh, of the Holy Spirit uh, in, in the Scriptures. And so it, it served as a reminder to the children of Israel, to the priests and the children uh, of Israel, that they were to be a spiritual and a moral light uh, in uh, the world. And they were to be that moral and spiritual light in the power of uh, the Holy Spirit. Now, now, since everything in Scripture, if you're going to take it to its ultimate application, uh, Jesus is the fulfillment of all of it. It speaks to Him. And you might remember that when Jesus began His public ministry at the age of 30, that the, how He began His public ministry after being water baptized by uh, John the baptizer, uh, that He, at that water baptism, uh, the Holy Spirit came upon Him. And he began his ministry in the power of of the Holy Spirit. Jesus spoke to us as his disciples. He spoke of the necessity in Acts chapter 1 of us being baptized with the Holy Spirit, receiving power from God in order to be a, a, a moral light, a spiritual light, a witness to God in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts uh, of, of the earth. And so here are these two trees, uh, they, they stand next to the lampstand, they fed the oil into the bowl, which then fed the oil uh, into all seven of the lamps. All operates on the basis of, of uh, gravity. Again, the lampstand was one of the furnishings in the tabernacle, and uh, it had to be filled with oil by the priests. But here now, Zechariah sees a lampstand that was automatically filled uh, with this endless supply of oil without any kind of human uh, involvement. And so uh, uh, he uh, uh, asks there in verse 4, and, uh, and, and he answered and he spoke to the angel who talked with me saying, uh, what are these, my Lord? He doesn't understand what it is that he's, he's seeing. We, don't, we are able to process this from a far greater revelation than he had at the moment. We've got an Old Testament and a New Testament uh, on our lap. One of the things I like about Zechariah is that he asks questions, and he's not afraid to ask questions. He's asking questions all the way through these visions. When he doesn't understand something, he asks questions. I was thinking about that uh, just a little bit. You know, a lot of times you get a little bit older and uh, people will ask you questions like, if you had it to do all over again, what would you do differently? And I don't really like uh, that kind of stuff. You just, we, we did the best we could uh, with where we were at the moment, and I'm not going to uh, fumble through all of the, the past and what I wish or wish didn't and all of that kind of stuff. So I'm not really big on that. But if I did have a chance to do it all over again, I'd ask a lot more questions. I would, I, would, I would ask a lot more questions than I asked. Now, by personality, I'm a person who um, will sit and try and learn by watching. 
And so I'll just watch what you're doing, how you're doing it, try to put it together, and then if there needs to be a question, uh, I'll let somebody else ask it, uh, just like we did in school. And then only if absolutely necessary. Uh, for the most part, uh, they have to be asked. And, uh, and I, I, I wish I had asked more questions and, uh, and received a little more revelation on things than, than I did. And so I really appreciate this uh, about him. So he asks, what, what is this? I don't understand these things. And, and then the Lord who talked with me answered and said to me, do you not know what these are? And I said, uh, no, my Lord. And nothing wrong with I admitting ignorance uh, either. Worst thing you can do is bluff. Oh, yeah, I got a sense of that. I was reading a comic book the other day, and I think I have a grasp on. Now, he didn't understand anything about uh, what is happening here. And so the Lord answered and said to uh, him, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel. Uh, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts, you, uh, who are you, O great mountain? Before Zerubbabel you shall become a plain, and he shall come forth, uh, he shall bring forth the capstone with shouts uh, of grace, uh, grace to it. And so the interpretation is uh, given to him. Uh, the vision, it represents a word to Zerubbabel. He was the governor uh, of Judah, and he had been uh, the one that was initially responsible for the starting of the rebuilding of the temple. He started the foundation of the temple, got waylaid related to that, and now he's returned as kind of the project head, the governor uh, of, uh, of uh, Jerusalem in order to bring all of this to, uh, to accomplishment. And so uh, he's, he's the Lord's instrument for this. When, when uh, uh, this angel talks to Zechariah here about this mountain of rubble, he's talking about uh, the construction project that's going on there. So in order to rebuild something, you've got to clear out the old stuff. And remember, Jerusalem had been leveled by the Babylonians. They went in and they uh, wiped it out, conquered it three times. So you've got to remove all kinds of rubble, and there's so much rubble of the buildings that it represents a mountain before you can even start uh, building upon uh, anything there. And so here is, are these obstacles that needed to be overcome in order for the job uh, to be completed. But the Lord speaks here this message to Zerubbabel. This is going to happen. You're going to move that mountain. Don't be discouraged by what you're facing. You're going to put the capstone on this thing. You are going to complete it, and everybody's going to celebrate the completion of it uh, uh, when, when you uh, do. And of course, verse 6 is a principle of concerning God's work in general. Again, oil being a symbol of the Holy Spirit. And uh, uh, the project here, uh, so daunting to Zerubbabel, he needed this encouragement uh, in his life because he, he doesn't have in and of himself uh, the strength of the talent or the uh, I think I can, uh, the motivation and all uh, in order to accomplish what God has called him to. And so God says, I know that, and so I'm going to supply you with everything you need from my Holy Spirit in order to accomplish what it is that I've called you to do in the rebuilding of, of uh, this temple. Of course, in Christian service, this is something that every single person faces. Uh, whatever God calls us to do, the first thing that we're faced with is the fact that in and of ourselves, we do not have the strength, we do not have the intelligence, we do not have uh, the ability to pull this off on our own. And that's deliberate on the part of God, because if we did and then we went and did it, we would compete with God for receiving the glory for the completed project. So he always puts us in over our heads, and he always puts us in over our, our heads to such a depth that not only do we recognize that we're in over our heads, but everybody else does too. So that when whatever God wants to do for, through our lives happens, they will all go, that was the Lord, and then he gets the glory. But he's got to put us in that kind of a position 
in order for that to happen. So he puts us in and calls us to do something we have no ability uh, to do. But he, he's intent upon having it happen. And so that he, he receives the glory related to that. Now, if he's going to call me to something that is humanly impossible, then he must add something to that to make it possible. And he does. And what he adds is the person and the work of the Holy Spirit so that when it's done, people will look and say, this was not done by might or by power, but by my Holy Spirit. And I might add, not by might nor by power uh, or by programs or by cleverness today. Not by might nor by power, but by my Holy Spirit. So there's that recognition that when God calls us to do something, He will give us the power to then do that. This power, as I spoke earlier, Acts chapter 1, verse 8, this power to be a witness to God in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the uttermost part of the earth, wherever and whatever God calls us uh, to go and and calls us to be, uh, that is called the baptism with the Holy Spirit. Uh, It is the power to be a witness unto God in, in this way. And, uh, and so here is this uh, empowering now of uh, Zerubbabel supernaturally to do what it is that, that he was called to do. Now, there is something harder in life, and for every single Christian, I mean, if we look at things and we say, oh, God never called me to build a temple again in Jerusalem. No, he's called you to do something uh, much harder. And what he's called you and me to do is to live the Christian life in this world. And that's not a six-month project. That's not a a two-year project. That's a lifelong project. And nobody can live this Christian life in our own strength and our own abilities. This, This passage... And then Acts chapter 1, verse 8, it's kind of parallel passage in the New Testament, just changed everything for me when, when I got going with the Lord. Because prior to that, I had viewed the Bible as this book of commands that I was now supposed to keep in my own strength. And if you want to know how well I did uh, with that, just read Romans chapter 7. That about encapsulates it for the, the good that I wanted to do, I didn't do. The things that I, I wanted to do, I didn't do. And if I said that twice, I meant the other way around. But that, that's what it was. And, 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 the, and the cry there in, at the end of Romans chapter 7, Paul talking about the person who's trying to live the Christian life in their own strength, you know, is who's going to deliver me uh, from this? And then in chapter 8, he goes into the Holy Spirit. And that revolutionized things for me when I got going at Calvary Chapel in Napa with an emphasis on the Holy Spirit, the baptism with the Holy Spirit. And I realized that He gave us these commands and then He gives us the ability by His Holy Spirit to keep those commands. That can revolutionize a a person's Christian life. Because if I don't realize that this, is, this can only be lived in the power of the Holy Spirit, then all of these commands in the Bible are just going to taunt me. They're just going to make fun of me. My life will be a, a one of continual uh, failure. And I'll think it's a, a fault of, of mine somehow. I tried, then you backslide, you walk away from all of it. Somebody says, hey, have you heard about Jesus? What about becoming a Christian? I tried that. I don't know who can do that. And they, they never understood the person and, and the dynamic of the Holy Spirit in the Christian, Christian life. And it changed everything. Doesn't mean that we're perfect. Doesn't mean we always get it right. But we know we have the power now to do what God has called us to do. And he makes this one of his encouragements in, in, in our Christian service. An encouragement in the power of the Holy Spirit. And, and uh, the, uh, once we've been baptized with the Holy Spirit, uh, the Holy Spirit not only in us, that happens at conversion, but the Holy Spirit coming uh, upon us, then uh, we're going to need to be uh, continually being uh, refilled with the Holy Spirit. 
You remember that, uh, as Paul wrote to the church at Ephesus, he said, be filled with the Holy Spirit. And, and, and the idea is, be being filled with the Holy Spirit. And so how do you be being filled with the Holy Spirit? Not talking about being born again again. It's talking about power for service. Because when we serve the Lord, we give out. We give out. There's a torrent of living water that comes out of our life. We're giving out. We have to be replenished. And so Jesus said, if we being evil know how to give good gifts to our children, how much more will our Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? So we're in, our, in Christian service, uh, wherever that is, running a lathe in a, a machine shop or wherever that might be. And we say, wow, it seems like there's an awful lot of Damien Kyle coming out right now. And I don't think I'm bringing much glory to God at all, or I'm discouraged, I'm going to quit, or whatever God has called me to do. Then that's the opportunity. You don't even have to uh, uh, find a phone booth to, to go in and have this happen. Is to just say, Lord, would you freshly fill me with your Holy Spirit right now uh, so I can be a witness of you here in this place. And in that instant... He will freshly fill us with the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit is flowing as a torrent of living water out of our innermost being. And so what a tremendous encouragement uh, that this would be uh, for Zerubbabel to not only hear this, but then to experience it, uh, but a, a tremendous encouragement to us uh, as well in our, own, in our own Christian service. So it's all going to be finished, but it's going to be finished by the Holy Spirit. Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me saying, uh, the hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of the temple. His hands shall also finish it, and then uh, you will know that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you. So he says, you're going to know that I called Zerubbabel to do this, to lead this project. It's going to get done. And how are you going to know that I sent him and sent you to do this? It's going to be uh, completed. And then uh, the, the word of the Lord says, for who has despised the d day of small things? You might remember that when uh, they started to build the temple and, and uh, people were looking at it and they had seen the temple of Solomon and, and uh, what is this thing that we're working on? It's nothing compared to what Solomon, what, it's an embarrassment. And, and, and they lamented uh, related to the grandeur of the, uh, Solomon's temple as opposed to, to this one. But the issue with God was not how grand the temple was. The issue was he called them to build the temple and they built it. That's what blessed his heart. Not how fancy it was or any of those things that we put a high price on so often in a materialistic uh, culture and, and society. And so those, God had heard those that had despised the day uh, of, of small things and, uh, and had been a, a discouragement uh, related to build, uh, the building of the temple. And there isn't anybody who's called to any Christian service uh, that doesn't have someone who despises uh, the day of small things. What are you doing? What are you wasting your life on that? That's never going to amount to anything. You think you're going to change the world during that? It's not my job to change the world. It's my job to do what God has called me to do, and it's God's job to change the world. And collectively, he'll do it as each of us are, are in our place. But you're always going to run in, into that group of people. They also write a lot of letters to the editor in the newspaper. Uh, they can never give a constructive bit of anything, just tear down anything that anybody is trying. And there's just a lot of people that are like that. And there's a lot of people like that in, in the body of Christ. So they have to be, they have to be disregarded. There is a difference between constructive criticism and destructive criticism. Uh, or somebody giving us some counsel. We should always listen to people that come with a good heart and say, have you thought about maybe this way or, or whatever? We listen. The book of Proverbs is filled with being teachable in, in, this, uh, in this kind of way. But we also have to be aware there'll be others that will look and they will minimize what is being done, what difference is it going to make in the grand scheme of things, and to realize I can't let those voices drive me 
from, from what it is that God has called me uh, to. The, uh, here's a couple of quotes in, in that regard. Often those that criticize others reveal what he himself lacks. And that's, there's a lot of truth to that. Here's, here's probably my favorite of, of all of them. Pay no attention to what critics say. This is the wrong kind of critic. Pay no attention to what critics say. A statue has never been erected in honor of a critic. <laughs> and and that's, uh, that's the truth. And so it can be looked on uh, with contempt because uh, they don't judge things in the way that God judges things. And, and God says, for these seven eyes, speaking of his own eyes, seven is a number of completion, meaning he sees everything clearly. This is, they, they think it's nothing. I'm telling you, I think it's terrific. For these seven eyes rejoice to see the plumb line in the hand of Zerubbabel. And he sees, God, he sees Zerubbabel working right there on the construction site. They are the eyes of the Lord which scan to and fro throughout the whole uh, earth. He was blessed by... When any time a Christian seeks God to understand from him what his call is upon our lives. I'm not talking about necessarily uh, being missionaries or evangelists or pastors or these kind of things. Whatever it is that he's called us to do, the place that he's put us in, in the world where we look and say, as best as I can hear God's voice, I'm right where he wants me uh, to be and I'm, I'm living uh, uh, for him in, in this, uh, in this uh, environment. And when a person seeks that from the Lord and then endeavors to do that, that blesses the heart of God. Uh, that, he can build stuff with angels. He can speak, he can spoke everything into existence with a word. Uh, it, but what blesses him is, is our obedience, seeking him and then saying, okay, I believe you've called me to do this. I'm going to take the step of faith uh, that you're trusting that you're going to provide me with the strength and, and the power and all that's necessary to finish it. And that's a great blessing to the eyes of the Lord. And he scans the world looking for those kinds uh, of, of people. And then I answered, and I said to him, what are these two olive trees at the right uh, of the lampstand and at its uh, left? And I further answered and said to him, what are these two olive branches that drip into the receptacles of the two gold pipes uh, from which the uh, golden oil drains? And then he said to me, uh, answered me and said, do you not know what these are? And I said, no, my Lord. And so he said, these are the two uh, anointed ones who stand beside the Lord uh, of the whole earth. And so the trees represented the anointed ones who stood before the Lord, uh, in, uh, in, uh, uh, beside uh, the Lord of, of the whole earth. That is Joshua, speaking of Joshua the priest, and then, and then uh, Prince uh, Zerubbabel, the governor uh, of the land. And God was their source of their strength, source of their power, uh, source of their authority. If you have, before we leave this, if you have never been baptized with the Holy Spirit as a Christian, um, uh, I, I, when I got going with the Lord back in 1980, um, there's a period of time from me recommitting my life to the Lord or being born again. I don't know what happened in, in there. I just know it was no looking back after that point. And, uh, and, but it was, it was a period of time where I tried and I tried and I tried and I tried and I failed and I failed and I failed before I heard teaching related to, hey, just ask God to be baptized with the Holy Spirit, filled with the Holy Spirit, the power to be a witness to Him anywhere you find yourself in the world, and He will do that for you. And so if Romans chapter 7 is where you live, your, your Christian life is literally one step forward and two steps back, and, and you think something's all wrong with you related to that. There's no power to live this life. Ask the Lord after the service. Come up and pray with one of the men or women. We'd love to pray with you related to that. I wouldn't want anybody us to leave really kind of the glory of this chapter here and, and, and not make it clear that that's an experience that's available to us and that God, and that we need 
uh, in, in uh, uh, not only the uh, Old Testament here, but in the New Testament. Nobody can live the Christian life apart from the Holy Spirit. Nobody can uh, ser uh, serve the Lord successfully uh, apart from uh, the person of the Holy Spirit. And then I turned and I raised my eyes and there was a flying scroll. Now, that's something new. And so he, he said to me, what do you see? He says to Zechariah, the angel does. And so I answered, I see a flying scroll. Okay. Uh, he's not wordy. Uh, and, uh, and, and so its length is 20 cubits and its width is 10 cubits. So a cubit is a foot and a half. So you've got this flying scroll. A scroll is something they wrote on and they rolled up. It's a flying scroll that is uh, 30 feet uh, by 15 feet. And, then he, and so what you want to do is you picture in your mind, uh, it's a scroll, as we're going to see in a moment, that everybody could read both sides of the scroll. So just imagine one of those kind of biplanes or whatever that goes, flies through the air, happy birthday, will you marry me? And you can see the sign from both sides. Um, that's kind of what the, the scroll uh, uh, looks like. And then he said to me, this is the curse that goes out over the face of the whole earth. Every thief shall be expelled according to this side of the scroll, and every perjurer or liar shall uh, be expelled according to that side of it. I will send out a curse, says the Lord of hosts. It shall enter the house of the thief and the house of the one who swears falsely by my name. It shall remain in the midst of his house and consume it with its timbers, uh, timber and with its stones. And so uh, the scroll represents the law of Moses uh, in general, most specifically probably the, the Ten Commandments. Uh, the, the application uh, of the law of Moses was if you keep these commands, I'll bless you. If you disobey these commands, then I will uh, curse you. Those were the applications uh, of the law. And, and so here he's communicating here that behind the written Word of God, uh, God stands behind it. And he's referred to as uh, Yahweh of hosts here, the Lord of all of the armies, uh, angelic and, 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 and uh, terrestrial. So all the sanctions, all of the penalties, all of the curses related to uh, violating the law of Moses, God says they're not idle threats. I am going to keep those promises. They will be performed. There is no hiding place from that. There is no secret uh, sin. And so even if a government lacks the resources uh, or the manpower to enforce uh, its own laws that are righteous or has no interest in uh, enforcing the laws of God found in His Word. Then God says, uh, I'm not dependent upon man, government, or any of these kind of institutions to do this. People violate my law. It doesn't matter what country that they live in. I will enforce my law. I will bless those that keep it. I will curse them that, that uh, don't keep it. And, and so, and he can see through everything and, and has the ability uh, to, to, uh, to do that. Now, he specifically condemns uh, and identifies here uh, for the, the removal of, of this sin from, uh, from the land, specifically thieves and liars and uh, perjurers uh, swearing falsely in God's name. So violations uh, of the seventh and the third of the Ten Commandments. And so he says they're going to be expelled, they're going to be banished, removed from among uh, the Jewish people. And so the far and uh, full fulfillment of the totality of, uh, of this judgment is going to be done uh, during the kingdom age, the thousand-year reign of Christ, where this kind of uh, justice will uh, occur immediately. It'll occur occur uh, very, very promptly and, and completely. And, and the kingdom age is going to be uh, wonderful a, as a, a result of that. And so this vision reminds us in our service to the Lord, it reminds us that, that even today God works privately in the world uh, in this way. And we need to know that. 
So the world always puts on uh, all of the award shows or whatever it might be, and here's the richest this and the this and that, and it looks like these people have no problems, everything is going great, and uh, they pay no price at all, personally or otherwise, uh, for uh, debauched lives that they may live. I'm not saying all of them do. And uh, they're, you know, they're getting away with breaking uh, the law of God. And God says, don't you believe it. And he goes to bed with them every night. Uh, he knows what everybody is in private. He knows what everybody is in public. He knows what we are in our hearts, how we present ourselves, the gap that's between those two things. And he says, nobody's getting away with anything, not even this side uh, of, of death and, and, and uh, 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 judgment. And so there's always a curse involved in deliberate disobedience of uh, of God's uh, word, and so uh, though the, the people give the appearance of, uh, to the contrary of it, it's a miserable life. You have no hope. You have no peace. You have no confidence concerning uh, the the future. No relationship with God. None of these things. Imagine living without those uh, those things. I don't care how you, uh, rich a person might be or powerful. You can only eat three meals a day, and uh, and and after after some time. You, you have to be, meet that out by the tablespoon uh, as health allows it to, to happen. And, and so nobody's getting away with anything. But what we have here is an emphasis on, he's talking, uh, this is true about the whole world, but he's talking specifically about the children of Israel here. And I, and I think about how often God, He removes, He works, He, he, he works in this way related to, to people. And uh, if they don't give up their, their sin, they don't give up their lack of, uh, uh, of holiness, uh, the defilement that they can bring, the quenching of the Holy Spirit that they can bring uh, to a church, it doesn't mean that we don't come with all of our sin and, and, and stay close to God, but people that are deliberate about that, uh, the Lord has His ways of removing uh, them and, and that influence, and He does that as, as well. And so uh, here is a an emphasis on the importance of holiness in Christian service and, and the place of the Word of God and obedience to the Word of God uh, in, to uh, uh, maintaining a holy life. And that's required in order to enjoy the fullness of God's blessing upon our lives and upon our Christian service. And then in verse 5, uh, the angel uh, who talked with me came out and he said to me, lift up your eyes now and see what this is that goes forth. And so I asked, what is it? Uh, and he said, it's a basket that's going forth. And, uh, and this is their remembrance throughout the earth. Here is a lead disc uh, lifted up, a, a cover for the basket, and this is a woman sitting inside of the basket. And so Zechariah doesn't recognize the object that he sees, doesn't understand what it is. He's told it's a basket. Uh, and the, and uh, it speaks of a basket where you would buy large quantities of grain. And obviously, just like the scroll was oversized in the earlier vision, this basket is oversized as well, enough to allow a woman to be in, inside, uh, inside of it. And, and so he says, uh, this is their resemblance throughout uh, the earth. In other words, this basket, this ephah, this enlarged basket, uh, it, 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 and used in selling grain, buying grain, associated with kind of the commercial markets of, uh, of Judah in the ancient world, this enlarged scroll, uh, or this ephah here, points to a godless commercialism that uh, also marked the Israelites who had returned from the land uh, uh, to the land from their Babylonian captivity. They were thriving in Babylon. They had picked up 
uh, some of the commercial practices in Babylon. They brought them back to Israel. These practices were displeasing uh, to the Lord. And so uh, here is this lead disc. It's lifted up. Uh, this woman is sitting inside. The basket uh, then uh, it, it, uh, goes, uh, goes forth. And uh, as we're told, and then he said, this is wickedness uh, concerning the woman, verse 8. He thrust her down into the basket, threw the lead cover over its mouth in order to seal off uh, her, the influence of her wickedness. And then I raised my eyes, looked, and there were two women coming with the wind in their wings, moving very quickly, in other words, for they had wings like the wings of a stork, and they lifted up the basket between heaven and earth. Uh, without a doubt, angelic beings in this vision. And so I said to the angel who talked with me, where are they carrying the basket? Well, they're clearly getting it out of Israel. God doesn't like the influence of this, this woman in the basket. And so he said to me to build a house for it in the land of Shinar, which is Babylon. And when it is ready, the basket will be uh, set there on its base. They'll build an altar to this, to their commercial practices. But this, uh, their commercial practices have no business in Judah. Uh, and though they are highly revered and idolized in Babylon, so I'm getting them out of here, and clearly in some way he influenced uh, those that were practicing these things in, in Judah in order to remove it from, uh, from the land because he didn't, want, uh, he didn't want that wickedness or that leaven to mark, uh, to, uh, to mark uh, his work and what he was doing there uh, in in Judah, and so uh, off she is sent, and uh, kind of representing uh, uh, idolatry, uh, representing a commercialism that's founded in idolatry, and uh, and the prophet uh, sees the uh, uh, her and, and the whole image uh, being removed from uh, the land, and so this commercial evil brought back to. Israel from Babylon by the returning uh, exiles. And so, wickedness uh, is worshipped. It's given a place of honor, put on a pedestal. And those things that are put on a pedestal, though they are wicked and unrighteous, put on a pedestal in Gentile or pagan nations of the world, God is saying they do not have a place in Israel. And they do not have a place in the life of, of a child uh, of, of God. It certainly reminds us of the book of Revelation uh, where God brings judgment ultimately upon a religious Babylon, spiritual Babylon, and also upon a commercial Babylon, which we'll get to in coming weeks on Sunday morning in our study of, of uh, Revelation. But commercial Babylon is where money becomes more important than people. Uh, in the world, or in a culture, or in a business. And, and once uh, people are no longer more important than money, now everybody has to make money, or the business goes out of business, and then nobody has a job. We're not talking about the fact that a business, it's not a, an attack on capitalism, or owning a business, or making a profit, those kind of things. But there is a line that can be crossed where now this is uh, supremely in the heart of a child of God. This is supremely about me making money, and I don't care what they make. I'll lowball every employee here. I'll give them the barest amount that, that I, I can give them. And now money becomes more important than, than people. That's the kind of wickedness that God did not want to have uh, in the land. Sure, we have to make money, have to make a profit, but that is never more important than people. And in the tribulation period, it's going to become a place where uh, with the uh, international corporations, as we see so much of it even here today, where people are nothing. They are just uh, fodder that you put into the machine in order to make money uh, for uh, the world economy. And, uh, and once we squeeze them like oranges and throw them to the side, there's plenty more that'll get in line uh, for the job that, uh, that they had. And, and, and 
and, and so we're talking about that kind of, of an abusive situation that was probably introduced back into the land and the way things were being done there uh, in, in Babylon. And so it's a, it's a clear repudiation by, by the Lord and a, a calling upon them to absolutely resist the, the upside-down priorities uh, of, uh, of a covetous world that, that with God... When you say things are more important than people, almost nothing can be more out of tune with the heart of God. The only two things that are eternal in the world is the Bible and people. Everything else is going to go. So I can't be, almost cannot be out of, 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 of harmony with the heart of God than to possess this kind of, of a covetousness and a, a treating of people under the influence uh, of that covetousness. I remember when I was a new Christian, uh, B.J. Thomas uh, was doing Christian albums at that time, and he, he did a song that I, I remember, and, and it was a song about um, uh, using things and loving people as opposed to using people and loving things. And, and that's always stuck with me. And, and, and this is what is being denounced here, that God doesn't want to be a, a part of, of repra- marking His, His people. And so it, 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 it's something that searches us, how we run our businesses, how we view people in general. We may not be able to pay them more than we pay them, uh, but we can treat them in, in a certain way. There's lots of ways to to handle people and, and make them know uh, that there's plenty more where you come from, and uh, if you don't like it, hit the road, Toad. And that, that's not uh, representing the heart of, of God um, at all. Now, it does take um, deliberate, I think, deliber- a deliberate decision in our lives in a materialistic society like we live in it will, it will take a determined effort on the part of every Christian um, not to go there. Because the temptation in materialistic society is to get just enough things that it takes all of my time to take care of my things. And then now I have no time for people. I don't have time for Christian service. And, and so there has to be a place where somebody says, I can have more, I can do more, I, I can, I can, I can, but it would mean that this is all that my life is about and not about, uh, not about people. And, uh, and so those, those boundaries have to be placed between us and the Lord so that His priorities are, are represented uh, within, within our lives. And so the importance of... Uh, in this vision of maintaining a, a separation uh, from sin, a separation of influence, the influence of Babylon, the world, uh, into my life and into my Christian, uh, Christian service. So it speaks to, as we serve the Lord, the importance of not incorporating into the church, not incorporating the world's methods or the world's priorities. And this is a constant threat. It works in the world, let's do it in the church. The problem is, is that the world doesn't claim to represent Christ, and the church does. So that's a a big difference. And so what is the priorities of the world? Nickels and noses, money and people, power represented by those two things. And then what can happen in a church is then what becomes the priority of the church, nickels and noses. It comes about uh, the number of people and about the money rather than the, the, because that particular way of viewing things has come from the world into the church. It's a terrible, terrible uh, temptation. And so the repudiation of the world's methods and, and practices. And then we come into chapter 6 here, the final of the visions. And then I turned and I raised my eyes and looked, and behold, four chariots were coming from between two mountains, some kind of a a valley. 
And the mountains were mountains of bronze. And bronze is a, is a metal that represents judgment in the Old Testament and uh, speaks uh, of God's judgment. And with the first chariot, there were red horses uh, pulling that one. With the second chariot, black horses. And with the third chariot, there were white horses. And the fourth chariot, dappled horses. All of them were very, very strong uh, steeds, beautiful, strong uh, uh, animals. And then I answered, and I said to the angel who talked with me, uh, what are these, my Lord? And the angel answered and said to me, these are four spirits of heaven, so uh, angelic beings of some kind, and uh, so that's what they are. And then here's what they do, who go out from their station before the Lord uh, 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 of all the earth. So uh, they have a presence in heaven. They go forth from heaven at God's uh, uh, command. And the one, with the, black, uh, uh, the one with the black horses is going to the north country, speaking of Babylon, Assyria. The white uh, are going after them, and the dappled are going toward the south, uh, the south country, speaking of, of Egypt. And then the strong steeds, they went out eager to go that they uh, might walk uh, to and fro throughout the earth. And he said, go walk to and fro throughout the earth. And so they walked to and fro throughout the earth. And then he called me and spoke to me saying, see those who uh, go toward the north country have given rest to uh, my spirit in the north country. And so here's the vision uh, that uh, uh, Zechariah uh, sees and uh, two of the horses and the chariots, they go up to the north toward, uh, toward uh, Babylon there. Uh, Babylon, of course, invaded uh, Judah uh, uh, and uh, conquered Jerusalem three times. Uh, the dappled horses went to the south toward Egypt. Egypt was a, a, a historical enemy uh, of, of Israel. Uh, all of these uh, angelic beings, they're, uh, they're eager to go. They're given permission to go and, and uh, throughout the entire earth. And the Lord communicated then to Zechariah that uh, the horses that went to the north country have given rest to his spirit in the north country. In other words, to quiet the spirit means it means to cause anger or wrath to be satisfied or to be appeased. And so what God is communicating here through this vision is that Israel's enemies to the north, Babylon and Assyria, they had been judged by God, judged by God in a way that satisfied his righteousness. And uh, so they would be no threat to uh, Israel in the future. The coast was clear for them to build the temple. You don't have to worry about Assyria. You don't have to worry about Babylon. Uh, you can do what it is that I, I've called you to do. They don't pose any threat to you at all. Neither does uh, e Egypt pose uh, a, a threat to you at all uh, a as well. And, and, and then... Uh, and, and, Certainly all of that happened at the time of God's judgment of, of the Assyrians by the Babylonians, the Babylonians then by uh, the Medes and the Persians. And so God was communicating to, to the nation through Zechariah that this was all his doing. Uh, I have defeated these, these great enemies of yours. <clears throat> and so when I call you to do something and to, to, to rebuild this temple... Uh, you don't have to worry about the condition of the world. You don't have to worry about what it is geopolitically. You don't have to wonder who's in power, who's not in power. You don't have to have network news uh, drive whether you're going to serve the Lord or not in the time that He calls you to serve the Lord. When God calls us to do something and calls us to do it immediately, the timing is perfect then to do that. He's taking care of everything that we can't see in order to make the coast clear for us to go ahead and, and, uh, and proceed. So they could get a, a, a move on with, with the business of rebuilding the temple. God was taking care of everything uh, behind the scene. And then he moves on in, uh, in uh, uh, verse 9 and, uh, and this uh, image of a, uh, uh, the speaking here related to the crown being placed upon the high priest's head of Joshua. And then uh, the word of the Lord came to me saying, receive the gift from the captives, from uh, Heldai, uh, uh, 
uh, Tobijah and uh, Jedediah who have come from Babylon and go the same day and enter the house of Josiah, the son uh, of Zephaniah. So three uh, 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 captives that were returning from Babylon, Jewish captives, back into Jerusalem. They come back and they bring this uh, uh, gift uh, to, uh, to, the, uh, uh, to offer uh, to the things of the Lord in Jerusalem. He said, take the silver and the gold and make an elaborate crown and set it on the head of Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Now, when it talks about an elaborate crown there, it's in the plural. And so the idea appears to be that the gold, the gold was used to make one crown. The silver was made to make another crown, but they were woven around each other to constitute a single crown. Crown. We're going to see what that represents in, uh, in, in just uh, a, a moment. And so make it as a, a crown uh, for Joshua, uh, the high priest. Now, the weird thing about uh, high priests is high priests didn't wear crowns. Um, kings wore crowns, and, uh, and at least not crowns in the sense of the way that kings did. And so uh, this, was, uh, this was, he was told these guys are coming, they're going to provide the resources, this is what I want you to do uh, with the resources. And then speak to him saying, thus says the Lord of hosts, uh, speak to Joshua, uh, behold the man whose name is the branch. Now earlier in chapter 3 verse 8, uh, this branch has already been used in the book, it refers to Messiah. So you see man is capitalized, it's a reference to Messiah. The branch is an Old Testament reference to the Messiah. Behold the man, so here's a prophecy about the Messiah who is to come. Behold the man whose name is the branch. From his place he shall branch out, and he shall build the temple of the Lord. Yes, he shall build the temple of the Lord. He shall bear the glory and shall sit and rule on his throne, and so he shall be a priest on his throne, and the council of peace shall be between them uh, both. And, and so here you have uh, this, that uh, Zechariah is supposed to speak to Joshua on behalf uh, of, of the Lord about the Messiah who would come, and here specifically a Messiah, the Messiah Jesus, who would combine the office of king and priest in Israel. You notice that in, in verse 13. It's, it's mind-boggling. So he shall be a priest on his throne. Priests didn't sit on thrones. Kings sat on thrones. Priests functioned in, in the temple. So this is a, a, a very odd and very, very extraordinary. So in crowning the high priest, the Lord is declaring here at that ceremony that when Messiah comes, he's going to combine the two offices. The Messiah is going to be both king and priest. And the priest. And one of the reasons that this is so astonishing in the whole Bible in this regard, you wonder how in the world can this happen? Because the Old Testament prophecies declare that Messiah will come from the bloodline of David. He will come from uh, the uh, bloodline of the tribe of Judah. But the high priest always had to come from the bloodline of the tribe of Levi. But the fascinating thing about Jesus is that he combined the two great offices by coming into human history through the bloodline of David, through the tribe of Judah, but then he established a priesthood of one, and then he uh, filled that priesthood by becoming a priest after the order of Melchizedek. So for the next three hours, I want to talk about Melchizedek. Just kidding. And so in Psalm 110, this great messianic psalm, the psalmist declared, the Lord has sworn and will not relent. You are speaking to the Messiah. You are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. The writer of the book of Hebrews understood it perfectly. Hebrews chapter 7, verse 14, for it is evident that our Lord arose from the tribe of Judah of which the tribe uh, Moses spoke uh, nothing concerning the priesthood. He, he's, he's got a grasp of the dilemma here. 
And it is yet far more evident if in the likeness of Melchizedek there arises another priest who has come not according to the law of a fleshly commandment, but according to the power of an endless life. For he testifies, you are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. And so Jesus, when he comes at his second coming, he establishes the kingdom age. He is going to break down the wall between church and state. They're all going to become unified under him because he's the only one that has the power, he has the wisdom, he has the love, he has the heart in order to unite those two things. And we could never do it. We'd, we'd go too far one way or the other, or we, all of it would go to our heads and we'd destroy the world. Uh, uh, but he is going to be able to hold uh, both of those offices. And so Psalm 10 uh, in, in all of the many passages that spoke of the Messiah as king uh, should have prepared uh, the, the Jewish people to look for the coming Messiah, uh, to unite the two offices, even as Jesus uh, did. This passage should have prepared them uh, uh, for that, and and uh, what they were uh, uh, th- that all of this was was coming. The thing you look at it and you say, why would he mention? And, and I notice I'm out of time, and I, I hope that helps a little bit. I'm just about done. So. But why, in a context of ministry, bring this up? Because he's reminding them, this temple doesn't look like much to anyone but me. And it is a part of a much larger plan that is going to involve the Messiah coming at his second coming and establishing his kingdom. And the same thing is true related to our lives. We look at it, what difference is it making, and, and all of those kind of things. That's not the way to look at it. The way to look at it is, this is my little place in this grand plan of God that is going to culminate in Jesus ruling and reigning as priest and as king uh, in the world. I mean, what kind of value uh, does that uh, give us in in, in our, uh, our Christian service, so much of it that can, can uh, uh, seem a little bit, uh, you know, methodical or se- uh, seem like, wow, what is this, what difference is this, this making at all? And so now to commemorate uh, uh, this prophecy, to commemorate the, uh, the event, now the elaborate crown, verse 14, shall be for a memorial in the temple of the Lord for Helam. Uh, to, uh, Tobijah, uh, Jediah, and, and Hen, the son uh, of Zephaniah. And even those from afar shall come and build the temple of the Lord. Then you shall know that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you. He promises there's going to be a steady stream of labors uh, coming from Babylon into Jerusalem. I'm going to provide the labor, Jewish labor, for the building of this temple. They're going to keep coming. And, and then he said, and this shall come to pass if you diligently obey the voice of the Lord uh, your uh, uh, God. And so the far fulfillment in the kingdom age, uh, the Bible teaches that the entire world, everybody afar off, Jews and Gentiles alike, not just uh, Jews as is here, are going to bring their wealth as an expression of their love, of their worship for uh, the Lord and for the temple during the kingdom age. And so this final uh, uh, encouragement, number eight, uh, the vision of the, the four chariots is, is, is the idea that we can give God our full attention when He calls us to do something immediately, knowing that He has taken care of all of the details uh, behind the scenes in order for us to be successful in what we've called us to do. You can look at the world, we can look at the world, and what about Babylon? What about the Assyrians? What are the Egyptians doing? And what are the Moabites doing? And all of everything. And we can talk ourselves out of doing anything because of the instability, apparent instability of the world around us. And God says, when I call you to do something, the coast is clear and you're going to be successful. Don't let what you think about the condition of the world and what the world has done to you previously, like Babylon and Assyria did to the children of Israel, 
That is not to become a part of your thinking. If I call you to do something, I've taken care of everything for you to be successful in what it is that I've called you to do. And so, uh, these beautiful uh, eight encouragements, if you put them all together, it would be tremendous at a pastor's conference, I think. Encouragements to us in our, in our Christian service, encouragements that we all need to hear. So let's stand together now and we'll close in prayer in a song. Father, we thank you that um, you, you are a, you're a wonderful counselor. And uh, Jesus, you are. And you know just when we need someone to uh, give us a good kick from behind, uh, when we need exhortation in our Christian service, and you know when we need encouragement. We thank you for the book of Haggai that gives us the kick. And we're thankful for the book of Zechariah that gives us all of these incredible encouragements as we endeavor to serve you, as we endeavor to live this Christian life that you have provided to us in, in this world. We thank you for putting them in your book and the privilege that we have of, of studying them and allowing them to apply you to apply them to our lives. And we thank you tonight for that in your name. In Jesus' name, amen. If you're not a Christian here tonight, you need to become a Christian before you leave and, and receive the forgiveness of your sins, begin a relationship with God tonight. We're going to be up in front immediately after the service. We'd love to pray with you to begin that relationship with God. If you need prayer for anything, we'd love to pray with you and for you as well. Brent, would you close us now?